Hi, this is Lewis Black, and uh, you're listening to PF's tape recorder. I don't know how you got to be able to listen to it, but and, and that he even has a tape recorder at this point in our time is really extraordinary because there are better things for, to listen to stuff on. Hello there, I'm P.F. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Clifton Cash on doing smart Southern comedy. I started to sort of realize that my genre, for better or worse, is, you know, intelligent Southern comedy. I'm a Southerner, got a little bit of a Southern accent. Uh, I talk about the South, and I'm a pretty liberal, progressive thinker. And being that in the South is, 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 is really kind of hard. You kind of stand out. Of we are more from Clifton in just a bit. We have Facebook, not Factbook, and the song of the week is from David Bowie. If you haven't heard it yet, I think you're going to dig it. And uh, let's start with a dumb bit. Time for another installment of... It's Facebook, not Okay, so uh, the usual suspects, of course, uh, you know, a former high school friend, more of an acquaintance, I guess. Um, we worked together after high school, actually, at my first summer job. But anyway, uh, posted a picture from uh, the Facebook page of a Joe Walsh, not the uh, brilliant Eagles guitarist uh, from Kent, Ohio, by the way, or from somewhere. He went to Kent. I don't think he's actually from Kent, Ohio. But anyway, um, it's Joe Walsh. The uh, I guess he's some kind of uh, news person, and I'm putting the news person in quotes. And I guess he ran for Congress. I think he served a term in Congress. Anyway, he uh, posted a picture back in 2013 that my friend just reposted here in December of 2015, and as a picture of a uh, Arapaho High School in Colorado, in Centennial, Colorado. There, and it says, "This past Friday, the Arapaho, Colorado High School shooter came to school armed to kill many. He ended up the only one dead. An armed school resource officer confronted him." Bet you didn't hear about that in the mainstream media. Guns saved lives. Well, this would be a great story if any of it were true. Yes, there was a shooting in uh, Arapahoe uh, High School there in Colorado. Well, there's this obscure news organization called um, ABC News, and, uh, well, they had this to say about it. New details this morning about the school shooting in Colorado on Friday. An eerie flashback to Columbine taking place one day before the anniversary of Sandy Hook. We have a picture of the young shooter now, a senior. We now know more about his arsenal, his intended target, and the heroism displayed inside of that school in the midst of this crisis. ABC's Clayton Sandell is in Centennial, Colorado. Clayton, good morning. So basically, the young man went into the school looking for the librarian who was also the head of the debate team, who had dismissed him from the debate team, and he was seeking revenge. Tragically, uh, he actually did shoot another student. She later passed. And, uh, and there was no armed... Re- well, there might have been an armed resources officer. Uh, that's not confirmed. It had nothing to do with it. Here's actually how it ended. About five minutes after it all began, as officers closed in, police say Pearson shot himself. So it was actual police that were closing in uh, on the young man when he took his own life. And uh, so this uh, guy, I thought, you know, people chastised my friend for putting this up. A lot of his, uh, you know, uh, middle of the road and progress friends like me said, you know, this is completely wrong. You should really take this down. And he goes, oh, well, I'll just show, it'll show people that I was wrong. And so he never took it down, nor did Mr. Joe Walsh. You go back to his Facebook page. It's still up there. And remember, Joe Walsh is a newsman and a politician, uh, purposely misleading people. Uh, about an important issue. And speaking of an important issue, uh, this this tragedy was the third such tragedy in Colorado, of course, that followed the Columbine shootings and the shootings in the theater there in Aurora. But thank goodness the NRA and their concern for public safety were able to get this accomplished. 
Colorado has now just tossed out two state lawmakers who played prominent roles in passing new gun restrictions. And I'm sure the people that voted in that recall election were so well informed, uh, probably got a lot of their news from memes on Facebook. But as we all know, it's Facebook, not Factbook. Clifton Cash is a comedian from North Carolina who's put together a tour called the Sick of Stupid Tour, and he's being joined by Tom Simmons and Stuart Huff, also from the South. They're trying to do intelligent Southern comedy. Here now is our interview with Clifton Cash. I think I may have spoken to you ages ago for a show maybe you did in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, or uh, perhaps Jacksonville, Florida. I don't know, but I remember... And, and, and what was it? Uh, it may have been for Cleveland Scene or for uh, Jacksonville Folio. Um, I've, talked to, I've talked to Tom and Stuart before, and I was thinking, have I ever talked to Clifton before? And I, I think maybe I have, but it would have been, gosh, almost ten years ago. No, I'm actually relatively new to comedy compared to those guys. Okay. Um, January will be my January will mark five years for me since I did my first uh, open mic or whatever. Okay. And I'm uh, I'm just a um, hyperactive, superfluous, overly talkative person. So it's enabled me. That's been a been kind of a liability my entire life. But now that I'm a stand-up comic, it's really been an asset. <laughs> I'm just going to sort of move through comedy fast because I can I can sort of crank out a lot of material the way the way that my mind works. So what were you so, doing? Um, what were you doing before uh, comedy? Man, I've done a lot of stuff uh, for for my age. I, I quit school at 20, got a job in the car business, and uh, during that time, I've sold. Uh, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Mazda, Mitsubishi, Mercedes, uh, and used cars, you know, at, not a used car lot, but yeah. pre-owned cars at, at dealerships. Um, and then I, during, during that time, uh, I'd never really made any money before, so I started using the money I was making. Uh, it was the first time in my life I ever really made grown-up money and I didn't have any bills. So I started setting it aside, and then I bought uh, a cheap fixer-upper house, uh, fixed it up, got two roommates that you know paid the mortgage and then some, and then I ended up um, pulling equity out, buying the house beside it. Then I ended up renting them both and went back to the bank and somehow convinced them to give me another loan, and I just kind of kept doing that. That was before the bubble. Oh, wow. Um, so at one time, I had five rental houses in my in my mid-20s. And now, after the uh, real estate market crash, and uh, and subsequently starting a business at the beginning of a recession, uh, now I don't even have a checking account. So uh, things, have, <laughs> things have changed a lot for wow. me. Wow. Um, so now I'm a broke comedian, uh, but I, I I did a lot, of it and I was um, I quit the car business once I got up to where I had enough rental income to sort of just you know live frugally and get by on. And I was flipping houses, just renovating them and selling them, and sometimes just flipping, um, just vacant houses. You know, I'd just buy yeah. something that I knew I was getting a great deal on and sweep it and mow the grass and sell it for profit. But uh, so when the market crashed, I 
I had all of my money tied up in stuff I couldn't sell, so I couldn't move forward with new projects because I couldn't access any of my cash. And I had three investors that I worked with in different cities, and uh, and they were all, you know, they knew it was getting bad, and they all got real conservative and didn't want to do, didn't want to move forward on anything. So I started a recycling business with the last little bit of actual cash that I had on hand from some previous deals. And uh, I slowly sold, uh, I say, just because it's an easy way to explain it, I sold the winners to pay for the losers. Okay. I slowly sold those nice, you know, income-producing rental houses to try and pay for these renovation projects that I was 90% done with and, and couldn't sell. Oh, okay. thinking, I'll hold them until the market recovers, and then I'm going to make a ton of money. You know, I just didn't, I guess I was 20 seven when it all went to shit and I just didn't really realize that uh, it would be a, you know, a eight year recession or whatever it was. So I uh, pretty much ended up with, without any of it. And then I just actually closed my recycling company in July. I sold my customer list, sold some equipment and uh, shut the doors so I could be full time stand up comedy. I've been traveling and, and been on the road for, um, I guess after about a year in, I started featuring, and then uh, after about two years, I started pretty much traveling, mostly full time, but still trying to run a company from afar. Yeah. And uh, now I don't have that distraction. So when? <laughs> but I've uh, it's been a big big climb up and a, and a pretty pretty high fall down. So I'm kind of kind of bottomed out now, and I'm ready to sort of rebuild in a different direction. So what, when did you first decide to try comedy? Well, was you were in the middle of flipping houses, or what, what was your... No, I had already pretty much... I, I was pretty much in full throes of losing my ass uh, financially and, and pretty down about it. When it first started, when I first started to really, like, not be able to pay bills and, you know, carrying multiple mortgages I couldn't pay and, you know, just the stress of all of that, was pretty uh, <clears throat> depressing and discouraging, and at the same time, my dad had uh, had, had skin cancer and going through chemo, and uh, you know, we for a while we thought that you know him not being around might be a possibility. And my sister had gotten sick actually at the same time, had a liver failure, and almost died, and and I had just ended a uh, a long relationship with somebody I thought I was going to end up with, so. I was just in a really kind of a shitty spot, just really down. And um, I, I always loved comedy. I, I, I've always been a comedy fan. I've, you know, there's a dozen comedy albums that I literally have memorized. Uh, but I'd never tried it myself, aside from, you know, always kind of being class clown and life and party and, you know, wanting to make people laugh. Um, so I just went and watched Open Mic one week. I didn't even know it existed, first of all. Uh, I'd never been to a comedy open mic at all. I'd never really lived in a city that had one. Uh, I've never really lived in a big city. And so, <clears throat> not that Wilmington is either, but they just happen to have a, a strong comedy scene. So I heard, I found out about it and uh, thought it sounded awesome and thought it might be really nice to just go and laugh for a couple hours and have some beers. And, and so I went down to open mic and... Uh, some of it was great. Some of it was awful, of course, as is the nature of, of the mics. Sure. I, I didn't sure. necessarily know that then, but 
um, I thought, you know, after that night, I thought, like, I, I could do this. I could at least be as funny as some of these guys. And so I spent the next week, uh, this is when I still had the recycling business, I would be driving a recycling truck with an employee slash friend. All the guys that worked with me were my friends. But I'd just be like, you know, bombarding them with all this material I'm trying to write. And huh. they probably, they acted like they liked it. They probably were about to kill themselves. But <laughs> So I really, I kind of got an opportunity to have a, a captive audience that, that really was really obligated to listen to me. Uh, and that was going to give them a paycheck at the end of the week. But So I really worked out the stuff I had written. Um, and I think, honestly, that I think that's the way to begin stand-up is to not just get up in an open mic for the first time and decide what you're going to say once you're up there or get up there and just go, all right, what should I talk about? Or, you know, uh, I think if I had done that, I would have failed miserably and I probably wouldn't have tried again. So it was really important to me for the first time to be as good as I could get it. And, uh, and I think starting off on that foot sort of set the tone for the rest of my journey through stand-up. I, I mean, I just, I take it really seriously. Uh, I try to really write. I try to really, I try and take it, to iron out every kink before I ever take it to the stage the first time. Uh-huh. You know, and then of course working it out slowly as, as a bit develops. But, uh, so I, I worked on it every day for a week and I was supposed to do four minutes. I did seven and a half. I didn't, huh. I didn't understand that I was burning the light. I'm sure everyone hated me. Huh. Uh, but, but I had a really good set. I mean, I, I, I felt like on top of the world about it and, uh, and everyone seemed, you know, people were patting me on the back afterwards and all that. And, and, you know, people were acted surprised that that was my first time and I was hooked. Uh, and I don't think I missed the weekly open mic for, I mean, at least the first year probably. Wow. And, and it was just, you know, not really knowing anything about stand-up comedy from the angle of uh, being part of it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I didn't understand. Like, I I didn't understand how hard it w- was to write time. And so when I first started doing the open mics, I was determined to not do the same, to, to never do the same set. And so I was trying to write a new four minutes every week. And I did it for a couple months. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't always great, but it was new. Yeah. And, uh, and I, cause I just went to a, you know, once I'd gone a couple times and saw the same guys doing the exact same four minutes, I just thought like, man, that's lame. Like, I, I want to do something different every time, you know, yeah, yeah. which is really, really naive, uh, optimistically naive. But, and so I, I just, I think that first year, um, really enabled me to, I, I had an hour of material, uh, you know, for better or worse, uh, after that first year, just from trying to constantly one-up myself and, and come up with new stuff every week. And uh, I guess after that first year, I started getting, you know, little trivial feature gigs, you know, a hundred bucks in a hotel, <clears throat> um, you know, two hours away or whatever. Been doing local shows and, uh, and then I started hosting some weeklies. I did a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday every week for, I guess, close to a year. Um, and my wife, girlfriend at the time, at some point kind of said, hey, listen, like, you're, 
you're gone every night and I'm home by myself and you're coming home at two o'clock in the morning and, you know, it kind of sucks. And I said, well, how about I'll try to get more serious about becoming an actual traveling comedian and, uh, cause I was making money from those three weekly shows. Yeah. I said, you know, how about I'll try and start getting booked on weekends and, and actually working for some bookers and, and going out and, you know, and really doing it and try and replace that income. Uh, and then, you know, I'll try and go to some cool places. You can come with me. Maybe that'll be, and I, that way I'll be home on the weeknights at least. And so I started doing that. I started working for Comedy Zone and Funny Business and whoever else would use me. And, uh, and I'd take her, take her along whenever I could. You know, no, nowhere incredibly exotic, but, you know, if I was, had a gig in Charlotte or Asheville or Myrtle Beach or, you know, anywhere yeah. that was relatively, relatively close to us in a city where there's stuff to do, um, she would come with me and, and I just fell even more in love with it. I just really, I think a lot of it was um, being, going through all the stuff, really kind of, I pretty much lost everything uh, financially. And and it's not the end of the world when you're in your 20s or 30s, uh, a lot less so than if you're 60 years old and you lose everything, it's hard to start over. But my thing was, you know, I quit school. Uh, I worked 60 hours a week in the car business when everybody else was partying. I renovated houses at night while everyone else was out at bars or parties. You know, I, yeah. I, I did nothing but work while people were being, uh, traveling abroad and being exchange students and, you know, just really doing a lot of fun stuff, enjoying being young. And, and I knew I was making that decision to work hard instead of having all these adventures. And I'm much more of a, an adventurer than a hard worker of my actual personality type. And so it kind of sucked to make that sacrifice, but I thought, you know, in the long run, I'm going to retire at 30 because I'm busting my ass and I'm going to be worth some money, you know, with this, this, if this keeps going the way it's going. And so when I kind of lost all of that, it, it kind of made me look back at that time and just think like, man, I should have just partied and traveled and <laughs> yeah. enjoyed my life because I don't have anything anyway. Um, so I think that was, that was kind of hard for me, but, but then when I started doing stand up, it's really been an, an opportunity for me to, to see some new cities and travel around the country and, and meet new people. And, and so I'm kind of living that, um, part of my life now. And it's very liberating to get in the car with all your gear packed up and hit the highway and know I'm leaving behind all this financial stress. And, you know, this real estate issues and this, this unprofitable business and all this stuff that's all behind me. And I'm heading to a, a new city that I've never been to. I'm going to tell jokes to strangers for four nights. Um, it's hard to explain how, uh, how powerful that feels and how, how much more positive, you know, when everything in front of you is good and everything, almost everything behind me was was not so good uh and so it's gotten to be that the only the only part of leaving that sucks is, is leaving my life behind and so we're trying hard now to figure out a way for her to be able to sort of um <clears throat> adapt her career to be able to start coming with me um every time or, or at least every time that she wants to so and, uh, 
So let's fast forward to the SOS tour. How did the SOS tour come together? I think that I, I just sort of started to realize that my, um, you know, everyone in comedy talks about having a voice and finding your voice, and I and I started to sort of realize that my genre, for better or worse, is you know intelligent southern comedy. I'm a southerner, got a little bit of a southern accent. Uh, I talk about the South, and I'm a pretty liberal, progressive thinker. Um, so I talk about, you know, and and being that in the South is is is, is really kind of hard. You kind of stand out, especially if you're not in a huge city in the South. Um, so I see a lot of you know bigotry and, and racism and and backwardsness and sort of political incorrectness and political um, obliviousness and. It's it's hard for me to not talk about that. So my comedy has really sort of become that. And I've been a fan of Tom Simmons since I started doing comedy. Uh, I always liked it that he was doing, um, you know, talking about highbrow stuff, and he was kind yeah. of approaching things from an intellectual angle. <clears throat> and then Dave Waite, who I think originally is from Cincinnati, yes, uh, and uh, and is in L.A. now, is a friend of mine. We were working together one weekend. And he started talking about Stuart Huff, and I started watching his videos. I, I hadn't met him or heard of him at the time. I started watching his videos and was just blown away by his material. And so um, before that, Tom and I had spent two weeks in the Bahamas uh, working the club at the Atlantis. Okay. And uh, when they book you for that, it's 15 nights because they got to kind of make it worth you flying down there and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And uh, so we spent two weeks down there, you know, hanging out on the beach during the day, doing shows at night, and, and kind of got to know each other. And, and I just was, was talking to him about, you know, I love comedy, and I and I, I don't need to be like, you know, Louis C.K. or Kevin Hart or whatever, but I want to be successful, and I want to do more than just, you know, go do shows, hope something cool happens. I want to, I want to create something. I want to like have some kind of brand or a project or, you know, just something that's bigger than myself. And so we kind of talked about it tentatively then. Uh, and then when I, when I got turned on to Stuart Huff, I contacted both of them and said, Hey, I think that three of us, uh, are, are all in this genre. And not only are we in the genre, I think we kind of are the genre. I, I don't think yeah. if you ask, most comedians in the country, um, especially that know the three of us, I don't think anybody would would name another comedian above us three as far as doing sort of progressive, intelligent Southern comedy. Yeah, and it's not like and, you guys are doing the same thing either because Tom is maybe leans a little more political, you're a little more maybe social, Stuart's a little more science. And so while it is kind of the same theme, it isn't like you're seeing the same guy three times. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, there's, uh, all of us have a little bit of material about gay marriage. All of sure. us have a little bit of material about racism or global warming, but we're all, uh, definitely different enough that we, it's, it's just all complement each other rather than being redundant. And I think people that like that kind of comedy are going to be ecstatic at, at our show. I think that it's going to be, um, as long as we're in a good venue with a good crowd, I think we're going to really blow it out of the water. I just think 
the three of us back to back is going to make for a really great comedy show. I think so. I'm really excited. I'm more excited about this than anything I've done in stand up. And, uh, and so I kind of approached the guys and said, Hey, listen, you, know, you guys are bigger comics than I am. You're, you're definitely more well known. You've definitely been doing it longer. I get that. I don't mind. I don't mind being the opener. I don't mind doing the legwork. Um, I have, I have sort of a vision in my head, so yeah. I want to control it as much as I can without, uh, you know, without taking any way, anything away from you guys. I want everybody to have input. But I sort of have a, a, an image and a vision in my head of what, what I'm trying to pull off. And if you guys will do this with me, um, I'll try my best to do as much of the work as I can and, you know, not bug you too much, not ask too much of you. And, uh, you know, Tom has shipped in a lot with social media promotion, Stuart booked uh, a lot of the shows, the more northern shows. Um, and we've, we've all kind of, you know, we're getting on conference calls every couple of weeks and we're on Facebook threads, the three of us, and we're on this, you know, a text thread. And so we're kind of constantly having ideas and talking and it's just sort of evolving into what it is. Um, but it's been pretty awesome. We've all sort of pitched in and uh, had our different roles and, and made it happen. And I think it's, I think it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited about it. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll be adding uh, more dates and we'll keep uh, people, the, the podcast listeners posted throughout the, uh, the rest of the year. And if you are like in Minneapolis or some other place I write for, We'll get you guys some ink there as well. That'd be awesome, man. Cool, man. Yeah, I think we're going to go on another run in May. And, okay, uh, awesome. And and maybe even try and do, since it's kind of, you know, southern concept, maybe even try and do some deep south, like maybe start in Atlanta and hit, you know, Birmingham, yeah. New Orleans, and Austin, and some of those. All right. And I, I told them, I just feel like, um, you know, people have this image of the south that we're all like, you know, sitting around a trailer and camouflage, yep. uh, rubbing our boners on guns and like <laughs> saying, saying racist shit while watching Honey Boo Boo. And, you know, I just, I think intelligent progressive Southerners sort of, uh, resent that, um, yes. that view of the South and would very much like to have a different voice, uh, comedically representing them than, Nothing against the blue collar comedy guys. Oh yeah, all geniuses and millionaires. But uh, you know, there's more to the South than get her done and um, well, all the camouflage and all that. So the president, the president with the highest IQ ever, Jimmy Carter, came from the South, and I think that might have been the first uh, time in history because you know you think President Johnson would kind of fit that stereotype in a way. But Jimmy Carter oh, yeah. really didn't, and he kind of turned that whole thing around and said, you know, he stalled the accent, and people kind of made fun of the accent and the peanut farmer thing. But people started to realize, you know, hey, this is a really bright guy, you know, and he's yeah, from the south, and a really liberal guy. Yeah, very. And yeah. Uh, and and Clinton was was that to some degree too, probably a little more of a yeah <laughs> middle of the road moderate. But yeah, I, and I think honestly, I think that um, the South and the and the Southern stereotypes have. Unfortunately, digressed since then. I think Fox yeah. News and yes. all these uh, these dumb cable network shows about you know catching catfish with your rat tail or whatever. Huh. Um, I think that's kind of set the South back a little bit. So yes, yes. I'm hoping we can we can sort of um, change some people's mindsets and you know and just kind of be a voice for progressive governors. I, I think that I think the people 
that are our target demographic, I think they really want this kind of comedy, whether they know it or not yet. Right, exactly. Um, and I, I think it's going to really resonate with people. And, I, you know, if we could if we could have a tenth of the success uh, as the blue-collar guys, and kind of doing it a different way and saying, hey, this is intelligent showing comedy, rather than glorifying ignorance and being silly about backwardsness, we're yeah. going to say, we're going to analyze it and scrutinize it and, and uh, you know, and, and, and sort of criticize it. I think that, you know, if we can sort of be the antithesis of that, uh, we can really build build a, a brand and a, you know, sort of a future out of this concept and hopefully be around for a long time and start doing some big national tours and, you know, hopefully blow it up. That's That's my ultimate goal i'd be happy if nothing ever comes from it other than this tour and we just have a, a ton of fun but i think uh i think there's a future for it if we all work hard and try and build it into something bigger cool well sounds good man it was great talking to you and uh this sounds like a lot of fun we'll, we'll promote it uh, we'll get on the bandwagon too and um yeah good luck uh, the rest of the way Thank you so much. It was right. nice talking to you. Right, thanks, are you going to be Are you going to be in Cincinnati when we're there? Yeah, I'll try to make the show. Um, unless I have a trivia gig that night, which so my wife will make me take the paying gig. But um, maybe we'll come out and see the show, <laughs> though, because I know Mark. Yeah, please. Who books? Please these. do if you can. Okay, great. Well, terrific. Okay, thanks again, Cliff. All right, man. Have a good Have a good New Year. You too, man. Right, bye bye. Thanks again to Clifton Cash for being on the show. You can catch the Sick of Stupid tour somewhere in the country. They just wrapped up the first leg of it. If you go to Facebook and type in Sick of Stupid Comedy Tour, it should come up. That's what they're using as the website for it. Uh, meantime, just Google Clifton Cash Comedy or Tom Simmons or Stuart Huff. All their websites should come up. We'll have links on the Podbean page as always. Uh, let me see. PF Tape Recorder logo designed by Dan Koble. Original music composed and performed by John Veropolis and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. And that means we've arrived at the Song of the Week. Song of the Week is by David Bowie. Of course, uh, Mr. Bowie passed away a few weeks ago. His last song that he released is called Lazarus. The video, uh, I guess, of course, you probably know by now if you're a Bowie fan at all or have lived on the planet Earth and have heard this, is uh, it was kind of a, a planned goodbye. He knew it was happening. He kept it uh, secret from everybody except his family. And uh, the video and the song are kind of his, uh, I guess you would say, his swan song. Uh, the song is called Lazarus. It is our track of the week or song of the week on PS Tape Recorder. So long and thanks for listening. Look up here, I'm in heaven. I've got scars that can't be seen. I've got drama can't be stolen. Everybody knows me now